the Black Scholars Podcast. BlackScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. All right, Dr. Foster, welcome back to the Black Scholars Podcast. This is episode 36. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Enjoying my summer. Good. A COVID-filled summer. Beautiful. So listeners, uh, last time you heard Dr. Foster, she wasn't a doctor. She was working on her doctorate degree, uh, and it was on episode 17, a Black Secretary of Education. Go back and listen to that. So what have you been up to besides earning your doctorate degree since episode 17? I have just been trying to figure out my place role in the K-12 classroom right now. I don't feel called to just necessarily leave the classroom right now, so just trying to find the best fit. So actually, this upcoming school year, I'm going to change roles from AVID coordinator to become a work-based learning coordinator. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of in the realm of CTE, but it's working with students to refine their job readiness skills, um, career readiness skills, and helping them seek employment while in high school. That's dope. That's dope. So I'm glad you can join me um, as we get into this America to Me series. Uh, And this is, uh, I guess, a retraction on my end. So on episode 35, I stated that, you know, I was able to watch and enjoy this documentary or docuseries through Hulu. Well, as of today's recording, um, Hulu no longer actually has the documentary. It okay. is it is back with its original publisher, which was Stars. So I've had to sign up for Stars through Hulu, and they've got a free trial and they've got discounted rates and stuff like that. But Listener as we, listeners, as we're going through this docu-series, you will need to sign up for STARS, or maybe you already have it a part of your streaming or cable package for those of us who still have cable. But yeah, this, this docu-series is only available through STARS right now. Right. So I noticed that too today. I probably signed on a few hours ago, and it kept linking me to STARS. And I was like, no, I was just watching this last night. Uh-huh. Yeah, they changed it, and it changed today. So um, I'm glad we caught it when we caught it, 
But um, I mean, I'm sure there's a way to watch some episodes online uh, for the free, and I'll let everyone do their own research on how to do that. But I just went ahead and signed up for STARS so uh, I can complete this series, uh, not only as an educator and doing this podcast, but just because it's a great series, and it talks about a lot of different issues that are important to education, specifically Black education and educators. So... Let's get into it. So um, episode one was what's the big deal about Oak Park? And I discussed that and broke that down on episode 35. But on this episode, me and Dr. Foster are, are going to take a look at episode two, which is called Stranger in a Room. And um, of course, we have some of the same reoccurring characters, same students from episode one and episode two, Grant, Tierra. Charles is back, um, but this one seemed to have more of a focus on Keyshawn, and also it focused, we are introduced to uh, Kendall, um, who is a uh, wrestler, and he's also on the drumline for his band. Is that correct, Dr. Foster? Yes, yeah. Kendall is actually one of my favorites, as well as there is also another girl that's new. The, the half Asian, half black girl. Mm, that's right. I can't think of her name either. But um, so we're going to focus on like major points, um, areas of discussion for episode two. Um, maybe that might be something that you wanted to highlight, but I didn't write her name down because for this particular episode, um, I kind of left that one off the table, but she's definitely... Um, important to the to the docu-series and I'm pretty sure that um, she will become a focal point of this podcast at some point. But let's start with the beginning. So it starts with uh, it starts with uh, Keyshawn and Mrs. Stovall's English class. And as I mentioned on episode 35, I love Miss Stovall as far as what she's doing and trying to build rapport and engagement and also give a voice to her students with social emotional learning. So we see it again in episode two. It starts off with the discussion of Laquan McDonald. I'm feeling a little bit off today and this weekend. The Laquan McDonald's murder really hit me hard. I think it's a lot of things. Frustration, this keeps happening in our own backyard. I'm worried for my black brothers that this is the, the world that we're in right now. So I just wanted to allow some space to address it. I just think it's like ridiculous that a person that tries to protect us from thugs, he arrested, he is one. So I think that like whatever happens to him in jail, he, he definitely deserves. People don't even think about like, what if that was your kid? His whole life was judged on vandalism or having a knife in his hand. We don't even know who that person is. We don't know what goodness he had in him. And now it's gone. I'm not I'm not defending the police or anything. I'm just saying we kill each other every day and then we complain about it when a white man does it. The only reason we would know about it is because of social media. And I just don't understand that. I don't see, I think sometimes we pick and choose the wrong battles. Don't get me wrong, police brutality is wrong, but we kill each other every day. Look at the statistics. So maybe we should be fighting about something else. And if you don't know who Laquan McDonald is, let me give you some brief context. So on October 20th, 2014, an officer, Jason Van Dyke, 
murdered Laquan McDonald, a 17-year-old, by shooting him 16 times near 41st Street and Pulaski Road. And the reason why the 16 shots are important, and they played it in episode one, if you know who Vic Mensa is, he's a hip hop R&B artist signed to Rock Nation. Um, he's a mentee of Jay-Z and probably his most notable song is called 16 Shots. And again, they played it in episode one of the docuseries and he is born and raised in Chicago. So police reported that McDonald was behaving erratically while walking down the street and refused to put a knife refused to put down a knife he was carrying. The department ruled the shooting justified. However, 13 months later, a court ordered the police to release a dash cam video of the shooting. It showed McDonald walking away from the police before they shot him. Upon Officer Van Dyke's arrival, he was on the scene for only 30 seconds before he started shooting. The first shot sent McDonald to the ground as Van Dyke fired 15 more shots into him. Van Dyke was charged with first degree murder and arrested. The city reached a $5 million settlement with McDonald's family. On October 5th, 2018, Officer Van Dyke was found guilty of second degree murder and 16 counts of aggravated battery with the firearm. Three of Van Dyke's colleagues were tried for attempting to cover up the shooting, but were found not guilty. So, um, as I mentioned in the previous episode, Oak Park, Illinois, it's on the west side of Chicago. It is technically a town outside of Chicago. It's a suburb. It's a very affluent area, very well-to-do area. And as the students are passing around this frog thing, um, and, and they're taking turns to speak about it, you can kind of almost see the disinterest on uh, Keyshawn's face um, as the other students are speaking. But when he gets the chance to speak, again, back to the first episode of this docuseries, he's very insightful. And what, what do you think about his character, uh, Dr. Foster? What do you think about Keyshawn? So I like Keyshawn. Yeah. I like him since episode one. And I like Keyshawn because Keyshawn reminds me of a lot of the black males that I've taught since mm -hmm. teaching. Um, same, we taught same. elementary for two years. The rest of my career has always been high school. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I think just like adults need counseling to be able to process through, I, I call it sometimes we processing simple things that we can't get straightened out in life. Right. You have kids who yeah. are processing complex things at their simple age. Exactly. And they don't have a counselor to be able to process through that, that through life. And so as an adult, if you're not seeing a counselor and people start talking about the issues that you're having problems with around you, you will probably shut down. Same thing happens with students. And so he, he's basically shutting down. Um, he's like, I don't know you all. I'm not, not about to talk in this circle. Um, I think that the fact that I like, and I like his English teacher as well. And I like his other teachers that work with him. And I think that he has genuine teachers that are working with him. I think mm -hmm. he's a smart person. I think, to, this is just my honest opinion, after meeting his mom, it all kind of makes sense after a while. But I think that in terms of Keyshawn and his feelings, Keyshawn is probably very deep. And I think you could get more out of him if it was one-on-one -on -one than if it was whole group. Um, 
Agreed. And we're, when they do, so when the, the interview interviewers uh, and the camera crew, when they do those one-offs with Keyshawn, we've seen it in the first episode, he's very, very insightful. We're going to talk about his mom in a second, Daniel, uh, Danielle Robinson. We're going to talk about her in a second. But just a couple of statistics, and I'm going to ask you a question. So looking at Chicago crime, um, there were 503 murders in 2012. There were 415 murders in 2013, 407 in 2014, and 492 in 2015. And then it jumped up, I mean, skyrocketed in 2016 to 760 murders. Typically, the Chicago Police Department, every single year, release an annual report, which is usually a uh, 140 plus page document that really analyzes and break down uh, the data uh, that they have collected over the year and reflected on um, and next steps and strategies they're going to take. Um, they did have one single annual report between the years 2011 through 2016 which I thought was mind boggling because literally every other year and even recent years, they have these reports. So I'm wondering what was going on between 2011 and 2016 for them not to have an annual report analyzing that data. And to your so point- Was it annual you then or did it just start? I'm sorry? Was it annual then or did it just start in 2016? No, they had um, those reports. Uh, I don't have it on off the top of my head, but those reports go way back, like way back, like 90s. So they every year, again, they publish these reports. But for some reason, between the years 2011 and 2016, so is that 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, six years, they don't have these annual reports. So I'm just... It just, you know, the journalism, former German journalism major in me came out. And I was like, mm, that doesn't look right. Um, but of recent reports, Dr. Foster, 2018 reported uh, 27,417 violent crimes. So not just murder, but aggravated assault, rape, robbery, all of those things. And that was down from the previous year of 29,852. So the reason why I bring all those numbers up, those statistics up, is because I want to see what has happened that has formulated Keyshawn's thinking and perspective. Again, as you watch this episode two of this docuseries, during this opening scene of episode two, he looks really disengaged until he actually speaks. And what he says is, is, is very thought provoking. He said, we kill each other every day. Look at the statistics. Maybe we should be fighting about something else. And he's speaking to the black on black crime, the gang violence, the neighborhood violence that has been around since the eighties in terms of Chicago. They had a spike in the nineties, then it dropped off and then it jumped back up and the 2000s all the way up to now. So Dr. Foster, let me ask you, do you think that with all of the violence that occurs in Chicago related to gangs and neighborhood, that potentially is Keyshawn jaded to the violence that's occurring? 
I think that you're absolutely right. I think Keyshawn is definitely jaded to the violence. I think also the narrative of black on black crime has been embedded, embedded into his head. Yeah. So he's not wrong for saying that um, because if we just go back to black on black crime, there's a lot of um, systems that go into black and black crime. There's redlining, there's economics, there's the educational system. And that's, that might, those terminologies might be too deep for him right now, but it's a, it's a community of all of that that leads to this black on black crime. And so one thing he did say, we're always focused on the police on black people, but right. what about what's going on in our communities? Right. And he's saying that too, because he's like, we're jumping, we're marching for this right here, but why are we not jumping and marching for what's going on in our communities? Exactly, exactly. Um, so let's talk about his mother. So moving on to the next scene, Keyshawn's mother, Danielle Robinson, she's reminiscing on her time at this high school where the last time she went to this high school was 1994. Didn't seem like she was there very long. She didn't graduate from this high school. Uh, she had a terrible experience and she walks all the way to the fourth floor. So on the fourth floor, I guess there's uh, what I guess we would call ISS, but they call it, what'd you say, OC? It was, yes, yeah, smaller community, community. It was, it was called something. Yeah, I think she called it ONC, which was like on campus. Really, it's an in-school it. suspension. OC, right. Yeah, ISS, it. it's in-school mm -hmm. suspension. And so I guess she was a frequent visitor there. And thinking back to everything that Keyshawn has said and how his teachers see the potential in him, but he's not given his all. And it seems like he's just kind of skating by. The thought that came in my mind, the question that popped up for me is how much of this is related to his mom's experience at this school or, or in the K through 12 system at all? Like how much is that trickled down between generations? as far as how important school is, how focused you should be in school, is he really getting the push? Now, mom did say something I thought was um, very revealing. And it actually kind of repeats something that Keyshawn said in episode one. She said she wants every one of his teachers to at least give him a chance. Now, if he blows it, that's on him. But she wants every one of his teachers to at least give him a chance. And we see pretty early on with these first two episodes, his teachers are working with him, right? Would you agree with that? I definitely agree. They're giving him a chance. We even see Mrs. Stovall, his English teacher, um, speaking about him before he goes to study hall, stopping by her room or, or going to her room for study hall and catching up on missing assignments because right now he's got below a 20. And make um, a little bit more accountable. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he's agreeable and she's knowing that she can't control it. Um, one other thing about Mrs. Stovall, besides the social emotional learning and the fact that she does try her best to build rapport with her students. Um, right before we're given the scene with Keyshawn's mother, what'd you think about her confession about a former student that she had and losing him to gang violence? Yes, yeah, so this goes this goes into as a teacher who has taught her whole life in rural America as well as urban environment. I agree with what Ms. Stovall said. We suffer from PTSD, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And we suffer from that because we have seen kids that come into our classes with 
ankle bracelets or we don't see them for a while and we see them on the front page of the locked up paper and then they come back maybe later but they're never the same and then we never see them graduate and then years down the road we hear of them killed and we have put all this time and effort into students and then for this to happen and she's basically she's venting to us about her feelings. And I think that she's a human being. She's letting you know that I don't just teach, like I teach, but I also feel for my kids. And one thing I wanna let teachers know, we are not parents and we are only here to teach, but we can also feel for our kids. And I think that she really wants the best for Keyshawn. And I think that she's just a genuine person who knows that education is going to get you out of this environment. But if you don't take these four free years, seriously you won't be moved out of this environment right and i can also um relate to mrs stovall as an educator not just because we both teach english but you know she appears to be fairly young at the time of this recording uh which was the 2015 2016 school year and that might be the reason why uh as we see some of the kids kind of walking all over her classroom management doesn't appear to be very tight um but the thing i can relate most to with miss stovall is she's in an affluent district and i'm not sure if this is her first school or she's come from a different school or a different district but when you work in the suburb, when you work in an affluent district, sometimes in your mind, especially as a black educator, you will think, because there's some bias there, we just gotta admit it, you will think, I don't have to deal with the same problems and issues that, like you mentioned, in the urban community. And I hate the word urban, but just to describe it, in the urban community. And the reality of the situation is, is this is a suburb of West Chicago. It's not that far away from where gang violence is occurring still. Even though you know crime might be down in this specific suburb and town, they're still not that far away where they're immune to what's actually happening and occurring. Um, and so she's still dealing with that as she admits that she lost a student to gang violence, one of her former students. I don't think people quite understand how life and death that this job can be. My first year at Oak Park, I had a student who was really troubled and very violent in class. I did the best that I could, but I stayed somewhat emotionally disengaged. His dad contacted me this year to say that he had been killed from gang violence. Maybe I didn't do enough to support him and the school could have done more to help him so that he didn't have this fate. And I just feel really awful and I don't want to carry that with me. So when I have a kid like Keyshawn, who sometimes he's not at all like this kid. I've not seen any violent tendencies, but I don't want to get a phone call from, you know, his mom saying that this happened to him. And I can't do that with another kid because it's hard enough with this one. And um, when we talk about Kendall, we'll, we'll talk about that more. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about towards the end when he's in English, he's in English class. 
uh, and he's reading some of the writing that he's contributed, and right. it's just it's just powerful stuff. So we'll talk about right. that in a second. Um, but let's move on past Danielle Robinson, and let's talk. Let's actually talk about Kendall, and let's also talk about Tierra. First of all, I know you love Kendall because we both love Kendall. But what do you think of Tierra? Tierra's interesting. Okay, so to refresh my memory, yes, I definitely love Kendall. Um, Tierra, she's the sophomore that likes to talk a lot, correct? She likes to talk friend. a lot. She sings. She's on the cheerleading squad. She's got the braces. She's wow. with her uh, older sister. Best friend, Tatum. Right. Mm-hmm. So Kendall, so Tierra is one of those students. And um, I, I, I have a student, I would say, who's like a Tierra that I still talk to and mentor till this day. Never mm-hmm. met her mom. Only met a sister, met a cousin. She talked a lot, but I never had any for real behavior problems out of her. Mm-hmm. I think her story is interesting because my mom was raised by her brother. And I think sometimes when you look at people who are not raised by a blood parent, you think that they will show these attributes of acting out, right, in school, because they're like, they're not getting the love from the actual people who had them. She's raised, being raised by a sister. But what we can see now with Tierra is that she has really great interpersonal skills. She's very talkative. She yeah. She's like, yeah, my friends Tatum and the other friend are white, but we don't, we've never talked about race, which is interesting within itself. You know, what age do you get where your white friends are your white friends, but now we're in our what age range and we're now talking about race, right? Because I don't think I talked about race with my white friends in high school. Um, I like that she's involved in cheerleading. She's involved in stuff. She sits in the front of the class in science. Um, you see, that's something that people might not have, might not think of when we're deal, when we're talking about girls, especially who like to talk, but she's sitting in the front of the class, which means she's willing to sit there and wants to learn and wants that teacher to see her. That could be a seat and chart too. <laughs> but, but you get her friends are on the left and the right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's not <laughs> a seat chart. Don't make a seating chart and your friends are sitting right. on your left you're and your right. right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but that's a good point. I didn't think about seating chart. But I, I like Tierra, and I think she brings a, you have the comic relief in different films, but Tierra is not comic relief. Tierra is more like the, I'm Black, but she is not bogged down by Blackness yet for some reason. At least her character is not showing that yet. I don't know what will happen in the next eight episodes, right. but we do know that both of her friends are white. We haven't seen her with a Black friend yet, unless it's a friend that's on the Chilling Squad that we don't know yet, and we know she's re- being raised by a Black woman. But other than that, if she encounters a racist situation, who is she going to go talk to? Yeah, a few things interesting with that. On episode one, you brought up some really insightful points. Tierra doesn't have a good relationship with her older sister. And I believe it's because the expectations and the pressure she feels from her sister to do well, specifically because her older sister's son, which I guess would be her nephew, right? Um, is on the IEP track. Well, he's not on the IEP track. He has an IEP, but he's on the lower track. And we've seen, and that was Terrence, we've seen him in episode one. So her relationship with her sister is not very good. Um, we know her mom. Can I pause really quickly? Well, not mm-hmm. very good how? You know, like I, I look at that like the, this girl is not abusive. Is it not very good because she wants her to raise her like Tatum's sister be her sister and not a mom? Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Because we see, uh, and I hope I'm not spoiling anything. Did, did you see the part where they get tattoos? 
Yes, I saw all the episode two. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that was an episode two. Okay, because I get confused because I've also been breaking down episode three as well. So I got one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, again, you bring up a very interesting point about Tierra. Who is she going to actually talk to? She could potentially have a friend or, or two or several on the cheerleading squad. Um, but she even made some despairing comments about the cheerleading team on episode one toward the end, where she mentioned that the cheerleaders have had a negative reputation for a while and they're seen as uh, ghetto. And there's a few other things that she said, um, descriptive words that were all negative, all negative connotation. So she was, um, comparing, them to the, um, she was comparing them to the majorettes. Yeah, she was, who have dance experience and they're predominantly white. Um, and that's a whole different scene in, in episode one to potentially break down, but exactly. Um, the other thing I see a lot in common between Kendall and Tierra, with them both having white friends, and they both said the exact same thing. They can't and or they don't talk about race with their white peers who are their best friends for the most part. And just being candid from elementary to middle school to high school, me being from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I had white friends and I I can't remember, I'm in my thirties now, so that's a long time ago, but I can't remember us having much conversation about race. I'm sure we did. I just can't remember. I wish I could. Um, and that's right. So I grew up with a lot of white friends as well, like Kendall. I was also in my AP gifted classes. Mm-hmm. Um, a small secret, not trying to name drop because I don't even know how to get in contact with him, but Alexis Ohanian was went to my high school. We're in the same class. So I took all classes with him. So we're looking at, I took classes with the guy who started Reddit. So I don't honestly remember having any conversations about race with anybody in high school. I don't even know when you start having conversations with about race with the opposite race, right? You, st- you have conversations about race with black friends post high school. Cause I just think that it's, you're, you don't really, you're not really geared up to philosophize like that maybe in high school sometime. But I think that to have that conversation in with white people, I probably only really had it a few years ago when I took like a culturally relevant teaching training and we had to have the conversation about different things and within race. And I think that it's interesting that Kendall already deeply knows, like he's got these two sides and I'm, I'm not, quote unquote, right-brained or have a musically inclined. But I think that when you are musically inclined, it's no way you can stay in one box of race because you're not an in-the-box person. You already think out the box. And so you have to have these different friends. But I I like how he worded it when he was like, I have these two groups of friends, but I need both. Exactly. He he needs both. He's like, when I made it to the band, he was like, I was me. And you could see that when he when they show him in the stands, like he was literally being him. But when he's with his black friends, he was like, I he can said, talk about some more of the music I like. Yeah, yeah. I can talk about, stuff. you know, they're within their group. You know, we all have black jokes that we make in the household. He right. can make those black jokes with his black friends. And to be honest with you, he's just, I love how at a young, is Kendall's the singer, right? I think he's the only singer on the show, right? I don't know what grade he is, and I just know he didn't go to homecoming this year. I think he's a singer. 
I, I might be wrong. He could be, he's, he's definitely not a freshman or a sophomore. So he's either a junior or a senior. And I put my money on the fact, I think he might be a senior. And the reason why I bring that up is that when at some point does the curriculum provide that conversation? Because I do not, I think back on my specifically high school experience, the school I went to, the high school I went to, Bayview High School, was a pre-law program. So we literally would go down to the courthouse. And when we were at school, we will reflect on what we would see. And a lot of those conversations dealt with different types of crime, laws, sanctions, infractions, politics, bureaucracy. So I know for sure with my white friends, we participated in classroom discussions. And so, of course, we're only two episodes in. And we do kind of see a little bit of that with, again, Keyshawn um, related to the shooting in his English class, having that, that conversation. But these kids should have that opportunity, at least in the curriculum, you know, whether it's social studies or a history class or any of the classes, really. And maybe that's a call to action, especially, you know, looking now in 2020 with everything that's going on. We do need a change in curriculum because I know we're dealing with obviously a global pandemic. We're dealing with the COVID-19 um, and that's a whole separate monster and beast to deal with. But also- this is, this is a whole nother conversation because now yeah. we're going into changing curriculum and we know that's politics and we know that school board sets the curriculum based upon what their quote unquote constituents want. Yep. But if they're not talking to their constituents or their constituents don't know what's going on, curriculum, Will never change and that's why I also like Miss Stowall because she discussed that when she came back with her presentation from when she went to New Zealand mm-hmm. on the Fulbright and she talked about her curriculum and how they didn't even want to they didn't even want to look at it talk to her about it and the one black woman who spoke up on that school board, on the school board. Her, I love her she said I, I would love to read it I would love to see it and curriculum within itself is a whole nother four-part series right exactly <laughs> exactly I think as a teacher, because I work for a district, so I cannot speak against a district, I think that curriculum barely touches surfaces. So like true, right true. now with what's going on where people are just realizing a lot of African-American history that they don't know. Um, you know, I had a, a man call me privileged, right? Because he said, "You, why, how do you know all this information? Well, you read it in a book. It's a privilege exactly. to read a book. I agree. It's definitely a privilege to be educated post, post K-12, but I also think that you cannot rely on the K-12 system to teach you all of this because they, we have an obligation to teach and graduate you. We don't have the obligation to go deep from before Christ, after death to now. We can't possibly do that in four years. Right. So I'm glad you said that too, because you're, you're just helping me transition along. So let me tell you who I love on this show more than anyone. And I'm a little fearful that we might not see her again. The assistant principal, Dr. Chala Holland. Oh my (laughs) God. Is she not excellent? Right. And I think maybe because she's in the storyline, but I feel like it's not fully complete. I have not figured out the reason why she's leaving, but I know that she almost brought me to tears when she was almost crying, saying that she hopes the next person can stand up more for these kids and do more. 
And all throughout episode one and episode two, she's just constantly dropping truths, dropping knowledge, dropping gems. We're, we're failing these kids. We're failing African-American kids. Where's the sense of urgency at? And that's exactly what the Black school board member was saying along with uh, Mrs. Stovall. Um, right. is where's the sense of urgency? Right. And I hate that she left the school. And so I'm hoping in the rest of this docuseries, we will still get access to her because right. again, this is the 2015, 2016 school year that they're filming this, but how they edited everything, it makes it look like she left in the middle of the year, which would be weird for a assistant principal to leave in the middle of the year, especially because this is only episode two and we mm -hmm. really don't know how many weeks into the school year we're at right now. Because, um, you know, with editing, it's not necessarily in uh, sequential order. It's more so about telling the story. Um, so right. I hope she's here for the rest of the season. But um, so I try she's, to... She's uh -huh. a much needed voice. She's a much needed Very voice. Much so. And she's much needed because this is a whole nother series as well. I think the black woman's role in education mm -hmm. and trying to be an advocate should be um, explored because I think the black man's role in education is sometimes different than the black woman's role. Of course. In education. And so I'm not going to lie. I did research. I wanted to reach out to her. I wanted to ask her a few questions, um, even invite her into, onto the show. Um, so if anyone knows Dr. Chala Holland, please contact her and give her my information, send it to my Instagram, Facebook. I'm very interested in having uh, a conversation with this remarkable educator. Um, but I just, I just don't know. Like I was just so taken aback by the fact that she was leaving and we're only at the second episode, but again, we don't know as far as, um, um, as far as the editing goes, you know, we just don't know. Um, right. But the point I was trying to make, I was trying to reach out to her. Um, and what I found is I actually found some of her former students. Literally, I just went to Facebook, typed in her name, and anybody oh, wow. that puts, you know, your name in the post, it will pop yeah. up. Wow. And so it popped up with some of her students. And you know what they said about her? Hmm. I think I'm not sure if she used to be an English teacher or a history teacher, but it had to be one of the two. One but the she two. said, but many of those students said on Facebook that Dr. Holland was the only class they really thoroughly enjoyed and would make sure that they're always there because she taught them history, not from a textbook, but from real life experiences. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't stop smiling. I'm like, okay, I don't know how long she's been in school leadership. But the kids that she did teach directly in a classroom have walked away with a lifetime impression and lessons from her. And we can just see from the documentary, she's that type of educator. She's that type of leader. So it doesn't right. surprise me. She probably was an excellent educator. She probably was right. an excellent classroom teacher. So basically, she put that curriculum to the side because mm -hmm. she knew that it was not helping them to thrive they're just maintaining it's not going to help them thrive you're not really you know learning much beyond a certain pendulum so i think that's awesome yeah. 
exactly. And the last thing she says, um, well, right before, you know, she's, she's crying before she leaves, um, is that, you know, everyone talks about family, parents, income. It's easy to get into uh, the trap of blame instead of ownership, but it's our responsibility. And she's speaking in terms of, of course, the uh, addressing the achievement gap um, and student achievement and trying to uh, specifically focus on how can we get these African-American students up to par? Again, as I spoke about in the last episode, uh, about episode one, we see in that board meeting, there is a huge gap that's growing based on ACT composites. And I'm sure there's other data, if we looked at as well, that revealed the same story. Board meeting students, was talking about the reading program? No, uh, on okay. episode one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this is the one with uh, Amy, Amy Hill, I believe her name was, where we're okay. introduced to the board at first. Okay. Um, and they were showing the ACT scores and it's like, right. uh, I think over, they did a comprehensive study from 2003 all the way up to 2000 and was it 15, 2015? And they were looking at ACT composite scores from that time right. and right. just growth with the Caucasian white students. And then if you look at that in comparison to black African-American students, it was like 0.7 growth over 12 years. And so I think the, um, uh, I can't think of our position, but Amy Hill said it's gonna take 75 years at this rate for African-American students to catch up with our white students. And I just was floored, like, 75 years. Oh, we're 75? talking generation. 75 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. So, again, to Dr. Holland's point, where's the sense of urgency? So okay. let's talk about this. What do you think about their literacy program? So they mentioned that they had a lot of students that were reading at the third or fourth grade level, which is not what you want to see, especially in the high school, but it is um, a reality. And many of you guys can relate to that. Um, and they emphasized with that reading program on having good teachers. The thing that I took away from that is, and maybe you noticed this too, between the first two episodes, I see a lot of pairs, like a lot of pairs. Like even if we go to the science chemistry class, there were two general education teachers in there, two. The spoken word teachers, there's two of them. They work in pairs. They actually go into the English classes and they teach poetry in a relatable fashion. They mentioned Lil Wayne and some of his lyrics to help the kids like understand uh, some of the analogies and metaphors that hip hop artists use. And what do you think about that? Like, I guess we're used to seeing it in an inclusion setting or we have so a special that's what education teacher. Are these inclusion teachers or are these like no, two these, teachers? Okay. These are these are two general education teachers. We have yet to be introduced to a special educator. What do you think about that? Well, I've heard of that concept in terms of a few charter schools. But really? it's oh, okay. yes, yeah, charter elementary. It might be there's one in Memphis, I know for a fact does it. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, there's one in Memphis, I know for a fact does it. But it's usually on the elementary level where they always say there will be two people, two teachers in the classroom. I've never um, seen that at the high school level, unless one of them is a special educator and it's an inclusion setting. Mm -hmm. And you have to have enough special educators to make that work. Right. Um, and so I think that if we think about the student who comes from a well educated, 
background, we'll just say, because I don't want to use the word privilege, mm -hmm. because we can all be educated, and they are able to get tutoring in elementary school, Kumon and different other things. They're able to get private tutors in middle school, private anything, to be able to be on grade level or before grade level coming to the K-12. That essentially is dual teaching. And so what they're trying to help these kids with, the 75-year gap that you referred to earlier in terms of testing scores, if there are two teachers in the classroom, the students should always have somebody to call on while one teacher is teaching. If another student needs interpretation, they can always call on that second teacher. And right. so I think that if something is not working, you're going to keep trying something that's not working. You're going to try something different. Right. I know that there have been days where you know, it could have been a down day in school testing. And I was in the same, I was in the same room with another teacher and it was two of us. And I feel like those were some of the best teaching days I've ever had with another teacher. Um, I think that it's something that a lot of, a lot of ninth through 12th grade schools should try. Right. And then, I mean, I, I totally agree, but then there is a question of resources. Do we have the scheduling ability along with the manpower to make that happen um well, you, you don't want my you know you don't want to hear my opinion on resources schools get billion dollar budgets right and the biggest budget should go to teaching and curriculum right not higher level salaries um the other thing i want to point out um is that in that reading program they focus on building relationships and I thought that was excellent how the two reading teachers, again, two general educators um, working with these kids who really need uh, additional help um, with just foundations of reading. They're working to build trust with them. They're working to build rapport with them because they know the kids don't like reading. They know the kids don't like literacy. But if you're building that relationship with them, then you're at least building a culture for an opportunity to teach and an opportunity for them to learn. And most importantly, student engagement. Students are not going to learn if they're not engaged. Right. Can I also say this, which I just thought was interesting? Because I, I always think of, you know, you always hear of the term, there's a meeting before the meeting. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting that, um, and I'm just going to say the white man that was on the board meeting who kept saying that there needs to be an audit and he's the one who voted no, if you don't remember him, going back and forth with the other black woman, the doctor. Yeah. Who, who on this board even asked for the original audit? Because if the teachers who came and they testified about the data and how the data was helping raise kids' reading scores, if that was brought to you from the very beginning, why would you have even asked for an audit? So who went to that school board member to say this reading program needs an audit? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I honestly don't know. If there's a program that needs to be cut, it's definitely not that reading program. It's not the reading program. It's not. But let's be honest. Can we see, can you see an affluent school, a school in a suburb outside of a big city? And their, oh, focus, yeah. and their focus is going to be on, and actually, you know what? Um, I know what you're going to say. That's true. Yeah, Kendall's, Kendall's English teacher said something to the fact when he was speaking about Tierra's nephew, Terrence, that, you know, what do you say? 65% of the student population is in honors courses? That's crazy. 65%? So, 
Is okay. it honors? I, right. So I'm not an English teacher, but I often do hear this argument from English teachers, right? Mm-hmm. So I never try to insert myself in it, especially when other teachers always want to insert themselves because I say you can't insert yourself into what you don't teach. Right. But what I also realize on one end, when you have the parents saying, give my child a chance, give my child a chance, chance. Mm-hmm. But then you have the parent, the teachers like, I cannot teach this curriculum and you're not giving me the kids that are even on this level. Exactly. So we have these both opposing views. And like I tell people all the time, I am in education and I don't have kids, but I'm definitely not relying on the K-12 to educate my kids solely. And so I think on one end is the parent who's putting your kids in there. What are you doing outside of the school hours to make sure that they stay up with that curriculum? But also as that English teacher Yes, you are giving that child a chance, but the English teacher can only give that child a chance up to a certain amount of months. And then we have to keep continuing with this curriculum. And to clarify, when he says 65% are in honors courses, he wasn't just referring to English classes. He meant like it's a track that they're on. We're talking Mm. science, we're talking mathematics, we're talking everything. 65% of that student body, and that looks like a large school. That looks like a very large school. And listeners, I apologize. I'll come back with some more data, some more statistics on what was the exact population that we are looking at with this docu-series, because that looks like a very big school, Um, a beautiful school at that, but a very big school. Um, But yeah, 65% are on honors track, taking honors courses, taking AP courses, taking uh, what they call it, dual enrollment, college-bound courses. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Because there's no way you and I know, and our listeners know, there's no way any school has 65% of their students at the <laughs> honors level. A true, because if you ever taught an AP course or um what's the other one called? Um, it's not called AP, it's a different uh, talented. Yeah, yeah, any gifted and talented, Apex, I taught Apex before, all that. You know when you have a group of, okay, their mother just got them in here. Their dad just got them. Oh, okay, she was fussing at the principal to get him in here. You know when you have a demographic that's ready to be enriched truly and ready to be pushed academically truly? You know it. It's a different type of feeling. It's a different type of classroom. So I'm pretty sure, I'm not going to throw out a number, but I'm pretty sure that number should not be at 65%. And I'm just going to say this just to play devil's advocate. So you say that as a teacher. I definitely think that as a teacher. But it's always interesting how the public is like, why not? Why can't 65% be honors? I am excited to introduce you guys to Black Scholars Clothing. In this apparel, we've got unisex t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, tank tops. I've even got items for kids and babies. I've even got items for women's athletic. The link for the clothing store is in the show notes as well as social media, but I'll say it one time, teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash black scholars use the promo code scholars to save 20 percent. thank you for supporting the podcast and enjoy the fresh gear that would be a goal that'd be a great goal it'd be great to have 100 percent honors but is that reality because here's the thing 
Oak Park and River Forest High School, okay? This huge high school, they don't control what's going on at the elementary schools. They don't control what's going on at the middle schools. They don't control, they don't control the students' mobility and how you got kids who move from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where there's a huge difference between MPS, Milwaukee Public Schools, and right. Chicago Public Schools. Right. They don't control that. You can't control who moves into your district and who's at your school. You're a public school. You're a right. public, you're not private, you're public. You gotta accept everybody. Mm-hmm. You gotta accept your Kendales, you gotta accept your Keyshawns, who's a goof off, but he's smart. He's not gonna do the homework, but he's smart. You can't control it. So it builds a culture where, I mean, again, the faculty member, the English teacher said it. We've got 65% of these kids in the honors courses. That builds up a certain type of culture. If that's the focus, what about the rest of those kids? That's really my concern. What about the rest of those kids who are not in those honors courses? What happens to them? What happens to their future? Aren't they expected? And actually, that was Tierra's older sister who said that. Why can't they be expected to be excellent? Why are the expectations lower for them? Why aren't they being pushed? Mm -hmm. That's a concern. That's a Mm -hmm. huge concern. And to a statement you said earlier, Mm -hmm. we don't know necessarily why Dr. Holland left. But I really feel like that's why she got so teared up and emotional is because she sees it. And, and she kind of said it at some point. She said it was a, uh, oh, so beautifully said, they have a, 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 well, a, a culture of white norms, white expectations, a white paradigm. They're not focused on the African-American kids, even all the way back to episode one at the very beginning, the light-skinned girl with the curly hair, she said she gets frustrated when she's in her AP courses and her classmates are asking her, uh, how'd you get in here? How'd you get in here? This entire purpose of this documentary started because of the previous school year, which we didn't see filmed. The previous school year, they had that Black Lives Matter student assembly. Okay, okay, okay. That's where the entire controversy started. They, I mean, you can go check out the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, mm-hmm. anything with the Associated Press. And mm-hmm. this high school was in the news for the wrong reason. When, I, or honestly, they were doing the right thing. The principal, who was a black guy, a black man, he just wanted, um, and he called it affinity grouping. Have we seen the principal yet in this? Thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He uh, So this is what they said. The filmmaker said he didn't, along with the superintendent, didn't right. want to be interviewed. Okay. So we see okay. them. We see them, okay. but they're not talking to us. We see them, though. He was right. actually at the school board meeting. He was there. Okay. Yeah, it's a black guy. And the reason why he, again, did the Black Lives Matter uh, student assembly right. is because of the shootings and everything that was going on and students were coming up to him like, Hey, why aren't these cops being arrested? Why aren't these cops being thrown away in jail? Why aren't they losing everything that they have? Like, where's the justice? And he's like, okay, we have a opportunity here to teach real life lessons. This is a teachable moment. Right. And so he wanted all students of color in the assembly. And then the white students spoke out and white parents started complaining to uh, central office and to the superintendent. Yeah. And, then, uh-huh. and so now we have 
this beautiful documentary, all because of what happened in the 2014, 2015 school year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, this is dope. I'm loving this docu-series. I'm excited about the, the rest of what's gonna come. I really hope again, Dr. Holland isn't leaving us. Um, and one last thing before we end this episode, what Kendall read, what did you feel about that? Because again, he's seen as, okay, he's a large, strong black kid. I really do believe he's a high school senior. Um, he seems to have his head on his, his shoulders strong and he's in band, he's in wrestling. We don't hear anything about, you know, him not doing the work in class seems to be academically strong, but we hear this piece that he's reading and correct me if I'm wrong, but how I listened to it, how I perceived it and processed it was that even the kids that look like, okay, yeah, he's got white friends, he's gonna go to college, he's gonna live this certain type of life, they still have street stuff they have to deal with. Is Kendall just read like the first page? The art of peer pressure. Out here in my grandma's van with the homies, I usually don't drink or get fucking high, but shit, I'm with the homies. I ride for my motherfucking niggas. I die out here for my motherfucking niggas. That's what they teach you out here in the hood. You either part of gang life or you dead. But my mama didn't raise me to act this way. She always told me I was going to be different. I'm not going to be like one of these crazy niggas out here killing each other. When I was about 13, she left my crackhead father, but I can't say she's in a better place now. He's speeding down Washington Street and I feel sick. Sitting up front is me and my man Z. Z's older brother, Earl, got popped about three years ago, right in front of Z. Ever since then, Z just don't give a fuck about anybody. Fuck with Z, you fuck with his pistol. Okay, thank you. So, uh, any things you want to ask about or things you want to say about what it was like to write? What made you go there? Um, Do you think people in, the, in this room could think you were this guy? Yeah, I don't want to think I am, that's <laughs> I mean, even from what you know of Kendale in this room, would that ever occur to you that Kendale was this guy? <laughs> yeah. Does that put your yeah. mind? Does that put your mind at ease? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. But it's real, and it happens a lot. To You've people. seen it happen to people you know. My, I don't live with my real parents. I live with my uh, aunt and uncle. So I have my real mom, and her boyfriend was killed a couple of years ago. Got shot right in front of my little brother. So it was. So like I. I know, and I actually, my, when I was younger, when I was like five, my uncle, he was like 25 when he got shot, died. But it happens all the time. In Chirac. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't figure out, was was he writing fictional or non-fictional? Um, based on the questioning, the follow-up questioning from the teacher to the entire class, I'm going to say he was writing based on his life. That was not fictional. Okay, because I thought I heard him say I'm being raised by my aunt and uncle because my parents, or was that part of the part of the poem when he said his parents were killed when he was younger? I, I remember him saying something happened to his uncle and then he mentioned another family member. That was real life. That was real okay. life. Okay. Yeah. They didn't provide I, much I, context, so it was kind of hard to figure it out. But after watching it like five or six times, I was like, okay, he's writing about himself. This is his life. It, 
And this is what I also wanted to ask, because I just I just pay attention to abstract stuff. That hmm. same English teacher was the one who also made the comment about there's too many honors is honors. Yep. Too many. Okay. So mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, is this the same teacher? That's the same one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I I so it go so this is why I'm always very critical, very cautious of how I talk about teachers. I think that his conversation with Kendall was very genuine. He allows Kendall a space to open up to talk about in his class. He gave Kendall a recommendation. He's a white man who gave Kendall a recommendation for a book, Ta-Nehisi Coates. He said, I think mm-hmm. you should read this book. Uh, Kendall said, thank you so much. This is so great. And you never know what that white man giving that book, I, that book idea to Kendall will do for him 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. And that is who opened him up to black literature. That is because, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates is mostly a, a non-fictional writer. Right. So he wrote the last fictional book. And so I think that it just comes back to teachers know how to push students to their maximum. And if students, if they're not, if, if they're not producing, teachers know when it's time for them to be placed in different settings. Mm-hmm. They know. And if the parents have something different to say about it, then you can feel free to get side testing. You can feel free to be able to add additional education on the side. But if they're not meeting the standards of the classroom and Kendall is meeting it. Kendall is meeting it. Kendall is just a well-rounded student. He's not an anomaly because there are a lot of black male students who are like that. But Kendall kind of has that. He, he has that growth mindset mentality already, and it just needs to be watered more. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, because again, this was filmed in 2015-2016. What trajectory? What's that? He should be in college now. Well, I'm pretty sure he was a senior. So if that's 2015-2016, yeah, he should be finishing college now. Um, Maybe going to grad school, maybe going to professional school, who knows, but it'll be interesting to see because there is some content out there on YouTube that does show uh, some interviews with these kids and where they are now. I don't know how recent those uh, interviews are, um, but I'll definitely check them out as we get closer to finishing this out. But this was an excellent episode and I'm looking forward to the rest. Okay. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of this as well. And I really hope Tara gets everything together because she's so focused on the social stuff. I, I want her to get it together academically. I really she's do. a 10th grader. She's yeah, a girl. I know. I know. Yeah, I just want her to get That's it together. That's what she's focused on. Yeah. We shall see. All right. I just Googled him. He's in college at some place called Cornell College in Iowa. There's a Cornell Cornell College. Okay. In Iowa, Mount Vernon, IA. So I guess that's Iowa. Hmm. I wonder if he uh, is still doing anything athletic as well. So that's good to hear. In the the docuseries, the film also followed McCoy on his campus visit. So I guess we'll see that later. Okay, cool. So you're right. He probably is definitely a senior. Yeah, he's, I'm pretty sure he's a senior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, awesome. Well, this was. Episode 36, as we broke down episode two of the docu-series, America to Me. Again, listeners, and I apologize, you can't watch it anymore on Hulu. 
Uh, maybe I'll send an email on behalf of the Black Scholars Podcast and Tribe. Bring it back to Hulu. But uh, right. I'm pretty sure there's a free way you can watch it. I just, I can't I found it. one. I'm about to email it to you. Okay, cool. But otherwise, subscribe to Stars. Um, and they do have some discounted prices and some free trials as well. So Stars, 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 America to Me series. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones don't slave in our history. When no slave ships 